Well, welcome back to Beautiful and Believable. Drew Dodson here uh, with the podcast, and we are going to do another installment today of my series on religionless Christianity. Uh, these are meant to be short form, just me yakking. Uh, this will be number four, I believe. Uh, and what does this phrase religionless Christianity mean anyway? Is it just like one of my friends says about other stuff, just a cute kind of prov- provocative phrase trying to get your attention, or does it actually have some substance? I'd like to talk about that today. Uh, I will have to reference uh, Bonhoeffer some. Uh, again, this will not be a history lesson on Bonhoeffer, but we're not going to understand what he was driving at unless we understand a little something about his time. We'll talk about that as we go. I think he and this phrase and his ideas behind this phrase are provocative and helpful for our time. You know, it's now, what, 70 years since he was killed by the Nazis, and yet these ideas around religionless Christianity really speak to me, and I think they'll speak to you. They speak to our time. So let's just dive in in a short form around uh, religionless Christianity. The first thing I'd want you to know, uh, that's an English you know, translation of his German language writings. And he, he used, apparently, he used in German uh, something that can be strictly interpreted as religionless Christianity only one time. Uh, most of the time in his letters from prison, which is where all this these ideas are coming out while he's in prison awaiting execution, uh, the phrase is actually that he uses most of the time is really better interpreted something like religionless or non-religious interpretation. Now, why, okay, why is this important? This is a little geeky, but this is important because... He wasn't just trying to be provocative with a phrase about religionless Christianity. I mean, come on, hey, Christianity is religion. It's been religion for 20 centuries. What are you talking about? What do you mean? He's, he really, behind that phrase is his idea, and he uses this apparently in German most of the time, re, a non-religious interpretation. Well, interpretation of what? Well, he's talking about a non-interpretation a non, excuse me, non-religious interpretation of the New Testament, of the writings of the apostles, of the teachings of Jesus that we have recorded, uh, of even the early church fathers, because he was a student of the early church uh, authors, the church fathers, we usually call them, who wrote in the first oh, three, 400 years of the Christian movement. What would it mean then to go back to those sources, uh, teachings of Jesus, the Gospels, as we have them recorded, the the letters of the New Testament, Paul and the others, James and John, and what would it be to go back to those founding teachings, founding documents, and do a non-religious interpretation? Well, where does that idea come from? Well, I don't know exactly where it came from for Bonhoeffer. I'm sure some Bonhoeffer scholars could tell us. I do know that other people, like in our modern day, uh, other authors have pointed out, uh, maybe you've never thought of it quite this way, but actually neither Jesus nor Paul were Christians. No such word or concept existed in their lifetime. They were Jews. They were faithful Jews. They were members of Judaism, the religion of of their tribe, of their race, uh, and there were always some few uh, Gentile either converts or God-fearers, but primarily it was ethnic. 
And Jesus and Paul were faithful Jews, deep-hearted and deep-minded Jews. And what were they trying to do? They were trying to reset their religion. They were trying to renew, refresh their religion. Well, Jesus and Paul simply thought they were bringing the truth and cleansing and a true Judaism to their people. That's what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to found, quote-unquote, Christianity. Another way to say it is they were uh, trying to bring an end to the layers and layers of crusty religion that had accumulated onto Judaism in the 1,500 years since Moses. Jesus and Paul lived about 1,500 years after Moses. So what's all this geeky history mean? It means that we need to, we need to change a little bit how we think about our, our New Testament, the teachings of Jesus, and the letters of Paul and James and John and Peter. Uh, someone has said that actually Jesus represented the end of religion, particularly the end of the Jewish religion, Judaism, as they knew it at the time. And I think this is accurate. He was trying to get people back to some real centered basics about love of God and love of neighbor. And he was most critical. If you read through any of the Gospels, he was most critical, saved his artillery, saved his most abrasive teaching and statements for those who were the most religious of his time. He was trying to bring them back to the heart of a biblical faith not layers and layers of religion. And Paul was the same. Paul, as he brags in Philippians, was the most religious of them all. He was a Pharisee. And yet he was trying to get back to, if you'll read in Colossians, he's trying to get back to, we don't need to be keeping special days and special holy religious activities. Jesus has come, and now we can go direct to the heart of the matter. We don't need all these layers and layers. Uh, so, just to say, I do think that Bonhoeffer in this idea of a religionless Christianity, or more accurately, a non-religious interpretation of Christianity, was trying to get the church of his time in Europe, in Germany, 70 years ago, uh, to get back to the heart of the matter. And he's dealing, as we are today, with thousands of years of crusty overlayment. Uh, the whiteboard's not empty. It's full. It's just full. Uh so in a way, we're having to peel back layers. This is what Bonhoeffer thought he was doing to get to the heart of the matter. Uh, and I think this is helpful for us because my tribe, which for some time has been American evangelicalism, conservative, you know, Christianity, Bible-believing, you got to be born again, the Bible's the inerrant word of God. My, that's been my tribe for all these years. And yet we must, uh, I think Bonhoeffer speaks a word to us about uh, our, our crusty religious layers and getting back to the heart of the matter. So Bonhoeffer would draw a distinction as he thought about these things between religion and faith. He's not the only one. I mentioned a few uh, podcasts ago, uh, a scholar named Fowler, uh, only from about uh, 40 years ago, unlike Bonhoeffer from 70 years ago. But Fowler talks about the difference between faith and religion. Bonhoeffer would have said that religion comes from the flesh, that religion comes from man's attempt uh, to explain things he probably ought not to be trying to explain, to control the outcomes. 
to control people's spiritual religious behavior. Uh, religion, he would say, comes from the flesh in that it's attempting to uh, justify uh, the clergy and clerical control. And he didn't say this, but let's just be honest, uh, clerical income. Whereas he would say, I think I've been told he gets this from a Luther, I don't know, the reformer. But he would, he would say that faith comes from the spirit. Faith is something much deeper, much more human than all the religious layers. And that faith comes from the spirit. This is similar to what the more modern scholar Fowler would say, is that faith is just part of the human condition. It doesn't matter what someone's religion is. Uh, whatever religion or no religion, atheists or agnostics, uh, also have faith in the sense of that human quest and thirst for meaning and purpose, that human thirst that shows up anywhere in the world at any time, that, that human thirst for connection to the transcendent, connection to something bigger than just finding enough food to eat and a cave to crawl into. Uh, that wherever human beings are, primitive or modern, uh, that we are thirsty for, and we just have this built-in desire to connect to something that's bigger, to something that brings meaning, something that's deeper. doesn't have to be a God. It might be some kind of God small g, something that gives us meaning, but a human being is just hardwired for faith understood that way. Uh, and that's, that's something that, that we're getting at with this idea of religionless Christianity. Can we get to a Christianity that is more about this human condition. Could we humanize our Christianity and have a faith together, you and I, uh, whatever our tribe has been, evangelical or mainline or your agnostic, whatever. Could we be Christians, you and I, who would identify as that and yet be much more human about it and do something about these layers of religion? Bonhoeffer was rough on these layers of religion. He, he talked about all the uh, doctrines. He would use the term, I believe, uh, and a lot of people will, at least in the academy, the term metaphysics. Well, that's a mouthful. What does that mean? That means all the conjecture about unseen reality, about God, about how things work in the heavenlies. It's all of our conjectures about, uh, about the furniture of heaven and the temperature of hell, someone said. It's all the things that have built up over the years uh, around those things. And Bonhoeffer uh, says those metaphysics, those layers of structures and doctrines that then we argue about who's got the correct theory of the atonement, who has explained propitiation the best down through 20 centuries of history. And then we divide up and take sides and create denominations around who's got the best understanding of the Lord's Supper what happens to the bread and the wine? Uh, who's got the best understanding of church membership and what that means? Who's got the best understanding of baptism and how they do it? And as you know, 500 years ago, people were killing people over how they baptized. Christians were killing Christians over their understanding and practice of baptism because it was different than mine. And my tribe does it this way. All this comes out of metaphysics, comes out of these layers of religion. Uh, Bonhoeffer would say when those first popped up, this I, I want you to challenge you to think about this for yourself personally. Bonhoeffer would say when these ideas around baptism, 
Lord's Supper, exactly how did the cross work? How is it that the cross is so important? Because it was such a shameful way to die. How is it that it is at the center of our faith? And how do we explain what it accomplished? Bonhoeffer would say when people started first conceptualizing and putting forth ideas, trying to explain how Lord's Supper works, how baptism works, how the cross works, they were well-intentioned attempts to solidify the faith, to bolster the faith of people. And I th think about your own history, the doctrines you heard from the pulpit or in a catechism class or just in Sunday school or small group discussions. Uh, you learned things about how we ought to be doing church, how we ought to be doing things like the Lord's Supper and baptism, how uh, how is it that Jesus saved us on the cross? What does it mean, this shedding of blood and on and on and on? Uh, Bonhoeffer would say, here's the problem. Those concepts that were meant to be so helpful and perhaps were at first have actually become now preconditions for faith. Now you're kind of not allowed in to our tribe unless you first agree to our understanding of baptism, our understanding of how the cross works, our understanding of uh, what happens to the bread and the wine at communion. Uh, and in fact, he would say what were intended to be helpful formulations, sometimes even philosophical formulations, trying to explain the mysteries of our faith, have now uh, actually pacified the revolutionary message of Jesus and the revolutionary message of his apostles, for that matter, like Paul, who's often misunderstood, I think. He was not trying to found religion. He was working against religion. They both were. And yet we've taken our explanations, these metaphysical explanations, and now made them entry points, preconditions you must agree to, layers on top of this disturbing mystery. Uh, and if what's happened over time, and I, this, is, this has happened to my tribe too, to the point that we have now, this is where I'll kind of wrap it up for your own thinking today, uh, our faith for some time now, centuries, I'm not talking a few years, for some centuries now has been characterized as we've got all these uh, explanations of how all this stuff works. These are preconditions for joining us, us Christians, and these things will deliver you from the world. That's important. These things will deliver you from the world. What I believe, what apparently Bonhoeffer believed, I believe what Jesus and Paul were about was not delivering us from the world. They actually wanted us to find God, find our salvation, find our deliverance, find that abundant life, find redemption in and through this world, to see God in our neighbor, to turn to the, our, our human community and love them. And not just the human community, but understand Love your neighbor radically. It includes humans, well, obviously, but it includes the creation that God called good. It includes the animals, the plants, the planet. These are all our neighbors, and the call is not a salvation from this world. It's a call to engage this world. This was the call of Jesus, to love our neighbor. This is the call of Paul. Our religion has morphed uh, to the place where too often we think of it as an escape from the world. Salvation is getting out of the world. I'll fly away someday. In the meantime, we're blessed and you're not. We're right and you're not. Uh, all of this is what Bonhoeffer was trying to get away from all those years ago in Germany. 
where the church had aligned itself with the Nazis, had aligned itself with Hitler in an effort to make Germany uh, great again, to make to bring back the glories of Germany from days past. So that's what he's arguing against. That's old history. That's 70 years old. We don't live in Germany of the 1930s and 40s, but we live now. And I believe that we need to listen to Bonhoeffer as a prophet and think about our religion. What would it mean for you to think about your history, what you've been taught, what you now currently believe? What would it mean to think about a non-religious interpretation of Jesus, of Paul, of the teaching of the scriptures, our New Testament? What would it mean to not think about escape from this world or hating this world or being negative about this world? What would it mean to actually love this world? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We gloss over the first part of that famous verse, maybe our most favorite verse out of the whole Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That might be a path toward a non-religious interpretation of our scriptures, of a religionless Christianity. Okay, I'm going to stop there. That's a good stopping point. I hope that gives you a little food for thought. Love to hear your thoughts. If you've got questions, man, contact us, email us. Love to hear it. Until then, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope this gets your motor running and gets your brain running. Until next time, much love and thanks for being here. Bye.